0: So I'd encourage you to grab your Bible, if you have one with you. If you don't have a Bible, you you can turn the page to page 8. Or actually, no, it's still on page 7. Page 7, you'll see the the sermon text that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, This is verse 13 and verse 14 of Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Now you remember that Ephesians is a letter that was written by a man named Paul to Christians living in the the region of Ephesus on the uh, western coast of what is modern-day Turkey, and that this is a general letter speaking to Christians throughout the ages, a letter of great encouragement to strengthen us in life. And over the past three weeks, we've been looking at verse 3 through verse 14. And we've said that in the original Greek, the original language of this text, that it is one long sentence, that it's, it's a sentence that, that stretches all the way to from verse 3 to verse 14. And we talked about how this very long sentence has a Trinitarian structure. We said that it starts with the Father. We have every spiritual blessing um, because the Father chose us. And Then we said it moves to to the Son, that we have every spiritual blessing because the Son redeemed us. And then finally, the text we're looking at today, that we have every spiritual blessing because of the seal of the Holy Spirit upon us, this great comfort of the Christian life. And so similar to what we've we've done, I'm going to read the whole sentence. I'm going to read verse 3 to verse 14, and then we're going to focus on verse 13 and 14 today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In our text today, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a powerful God, that you are a loving God, We thank you that you are the God who speaks to us in scripture. Lord, today as we hear the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, I pray that we can come with believing hearts, um, humble minds, humble posture to hear your word, to respond in obedience and faith. Uh, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with the Johnny Cash song, Your Own Personal Jesus. And it's a, it's a great song if, you're, if you know it. And The words say, your own personal Jesus, someone to hear your prayers, someone who cares. Your own personal Jesus, someone to hear your prayers, someone who's there. Feeling unknown, and you're all alone, flesh and blown, flesh and bone by the telephone. Lift up the receiver, I'll make you a believer. Maybe you'll get a chance to to listen to it after church. But I think that the song is on to something, that Christianity is not Western individualism, Christianity is, is not about just, just me and my Bible alone, but yet Christianity is a deeply personal religion. It's a, it has a view of salvation that is deeply personal. And that's what we see in the verses that I read for you a moment ago. We see the, the deeply personal nature of our salvation. And so what we're going to do today is we're, we're going to walk through this phrase by phrase, exploring the personal nature of salvation. So look at verse 13 in your Bible. It says, In him you also, and then if you jump to the main verb, were sealed. In him you also were sealed. And look at that word you. We see that salvation is deeply personal because it comes to you. You may have read it, heard as I was reading this that, that Paul, throughout most of this long sentence in the original language, is speaking in the third person, plural. He's saying, we have obtained an inheritance. We have redemption. We have been predestined. But then here, suddenly, he switches gears from the, the first person plural, we and our, to the the second person plural, to you or you all. And he begins to address the Ephesians directly. And you say, well, why does that matter? What is the significance of changing from, from we to you? And in a way, we can be personal when we speak of we are going somewhere. We are doing something as a family. But sometimes we can we can use the word we in an impersonal way to distance ourselves from the situation. Think of when you're talking to your spouse and you say, We really need to start turning the lights out in the rooms. Uh, you're not saying we both need to do this, you're saying you need to do this, and you're oh. or uh, you you could think of you go into your job and say I think we really need to, to focus and work harder on this project. You mean you need to work harder <laughs> and focus on this project that that we can can distance the we who are who's the we. But then when Paul sw- switches gears to you, he's saying no, this is not abstract. This is not. We generally, as the church, we generally, as the people of God, we generally, as humanity, no, the the blessing of the Christian life is for you, for you as an individual person. It is deeply personal. And that's something to think about as you are here listening to the word of God. That maybe on some level you think that this is for someone else, someone else of a different culture, someone else of a different age, someone else of a different ethnicity. You think that it's for someone else. It's good for your parents. It's good for your children in some way. But what this is saying is, no, this is for you. The good news is for you if you turn to Christ. Again, it's deeply personal. Look again in in your Bible at verse 13. He says, In him you also were sealed. And this time look at the word him. In him. That salvation is deeply personal because it comes in him. It comes in Christ that we're not sealed in an impersonal philosophy. It's not an idea. We're not sealed in an abstract morality. It's, sometimes people say of uh, something like Buddhism that it's not a religion, it's a philosophy, it's a way of life. And that's where Christianity is different, that, that Christianity is not first and foremost a philosophy. Christianity is not first and foremost, a morality, though it has philosophical implications and it has moral implications. But first and foremost, the Christian view of salvation is about a person, and that makes it deeply personal. It's about a, a person who was born 2,000 years ago, a person who lived a perfect life under the law of God, a person who died bearing the sins of his people a person who rose again, who ascended into heaven, who's coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. It's about a, a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are connected in him. And I love how Paul describes this personal nature of Christ back in Galatians chapter 2. So if you turn turning your Bible to Galatians 2, just a few pages back in my Bible, and look at verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I remember in seminary I heard a talk from a well-known New Testament scholar named Richard Bachham. and and he was talking about the the personal nature of the New Testament. And he rightly said, New Testament is not individualistic as we often operate in America, yet when it comes to the New Testament view of salvation, it's it's deeply personal, that, that there is this individual, personal experience of Jesus Christ. And you see that in Paul where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, that he, he's speaking, and, and Bacham said it's almost as if Paul was envisioning Jesus going to the cross, carrying the cross to Golgotha with the apostle Paul himself on his mind. And in a way, that's how we should think about our salvation as well. It's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he had his, his people on his mind that if you are in Christ he had you on his mind in a profound way going to the cross to bear the wrath of God in your place and that we as believers knowing the personal nature can pray with Paul I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And can you pray? Can you think of your relationship to God in that deeply personal way? that's what we see in our text, that salvation is deeply personal. But turn again in your Bible back to Ephesians 1 and look at verse 13 again. It says, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, were sealed. Look at that phrase. When you heard the word of truth. Salvation is deeply personal because it comes to us through hearing, through personal hearing of words of a message. He says that when you heard, the word of truth. And you say, well, what was this word of truth? And he defines it, he says, the gospel of your salvation. that the, the word of truth, that the message of the gospel, the central message of Christ's life, death, and resurrection for sinners, that this message came to you as the word of truth. Uh, and it's the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel that produces salvation in the human heart. That the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 1 says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That the gospel isn't just about salvation as its message. It is actually the power of God for salvation. That the gospel message produces a result in our hearts. You could think of the book of Ezekiel where... The dry bones are in the field, and, and he prophesies over the dry bones, and flesh and sinew come onto the bones, and it, and it comes to life. That, that's what the, the message of the gospel does. And you see that the, that because of this, personal evangelism is important, actually telling the gospel to other people. I remember seeing a a few years ago a study about people who came to faith as adults, and almost without exception, they said that somebody in their life personally explained the gospel to them, that maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a family member, somebody said, here's the good news of Christianity, but it's not just personal evangelism that's important, Uh, it's also... The preaching of the Word of God and the gathered worship of the people of God. That God has a consistent pattern throughout history of using the gospel preached to drive the message home into the hearts of men, women, and children. so you can think about this even in your own life: that how is it that you came to have the message of the gospel? Maybe you think that you just, well, I came to it on my own. But the gospel is not something that we can rationally deduce by ourselves from first principles. The gospel is not something that if you just were left alone long enough, you would come up with from your own mind. That the gospel message about Christ's life, death, and resurrection, because it's personal, because it's about Christ, uh, it's, it's a message that we receive from others. And so maybe it was your parent who first explained the gospel to you. Maybe it was a sibling who first explained the gospel to you. Maybe it was a, a friend or a family member that explained the gospel to you. Or maybe you had a parent who told you the gospel over and over and over again, but it went in when went in one ear and out the other, and it never settled into your heart. But then eventually you were listening to gospel preaching and suddenly it clicked. Oh, that's what the gospel is. I've never heard this before, even though people have been telling it to me my entire life. That, that's the story of many people who come to faith. But the point of this is to say that salvation is deeply personal because it comes to us from other people, that the gospel is. Is something that we hear or if we're hearing impaired maybe we read it in a book in some way but you see what what he's saying that it's in a, the mind the gospel is in the mind of another person and they speak what is in their mind of the gospel or they or they write it down so that you can read it and then you you hear those words it enters your 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 mind and then eventually it settles down into your heart as the power of God for salvation it's it's a personal message that comes to us it's deeply personal look again in your Bible though at verse 13 he said it says in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed so salvation is deeply personal because it's also something that flows out of personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through personal hearing, but it can't stop with hearing. You remember the parable of Jesus where he talks about those who, who hear the word, the the gospel comes to their heart like the seed falling onto soil. And then some soils it hits and it grows up and bears fruit. And sometimes it doesn't. And that is one thing to have the the ideas into your ear or your mind, but another thing to settle those down into your heart. And that's something that that is personal, that you can't rely on the faith of someone else alone. That maybe initially uh, you're like the the person who is carried on the mat to Jesus by his friends. And And it says that Jesus saw the faith of the friends and then healed the man. And so it's not that the faith of those around us doesn't matter. Uh, We believe that we can present children for baptism on the basis of the, the faith of their parents. But yet, when it comes to salvation, we need personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we come to the day of judgment, we can't rest on the faith of our parents or on the faith of our family or on the faith of our church or the faith of our friend group, as much as we can lean on those people for support in hard times, that when it comes to the day of judgment, it's going to be deeply personal because it's the question of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will come into play. Have we repented and trusted in Christ? And so maybe you're at the place where you've been around believers, maybe you even think of yourself as a believer, to one degree, but yet you've never seen your sin, you've never repented of your sin before a holy God, that you've never turned to Christ in repentance and faith, asking him to be the Lord of your life. And that's the call for each and every one of us is to take personal hold on the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear the word of truth and to believe in him. That is the hope of salvation, that it is deeply personal. But look again in your Bible, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So salvation is deeply personal, because it is rooted. It, it comes with the personal seal of God. God gives a personal seal, and you'll notice that in the in the language that the the seal comes when we believe that when you when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him were. Sealed. And you'll notice also that there's a, the Trinitarian nature of this seal. That the, the subject, the implied subject of the, the passive verb were sealed, is, is God the Father. God the Father is doing the sealing. And we said that it's in Christ, that you're sealed in Him, in Christ. And then you say, Well, what is the seal itself that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit Himself is given in the heart of the believer as the seal. And he's not a gift that comes later, as some teach in the charismatic movement. It's not that you believe in Jesus, and then over a certain amount of time, eventually you receive the the Holy Spirit as you speak in tongues. But what we see here is that when you believe, you receive that seal, that mark of God upon you. And the the image is the the seal that a king might wear. You you can think of a a seal where you put the wax on the document and the the, the king puts his his mark into the wax. And then suddenly it bears the official stamp of the king. This belongs to me, this is from me, this has my stamp on it. And I read an article recently that uh, Ford Motor Company uh, ran out of Ford logos to put on their cars. Uh, and so they had finished cars sitting in the warehouse without the Ford logo on it for a time while the supply line caught up. And and this is saying that that will never happen with the, the, the mark, the seal of God on a believer. It, it's not that we're we're completed, we're brought to spiritual life, that we put our faith in Jesus and then he delays putting his seal, his mark on us. But instead... What it says here is that that we have the seal. We have the mark of the Spirit upon us in our hearts. You can think of what what Paul says back in Galatians 4. So turn one page back in my Bible uh, to Galatians 4, verse 4. He says, "'But when the fullness of time had come, "'God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, "'born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God." that if you are a believer here today, that you have the seal of God in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And it's not just the the omnipresence of God. God is present everywhere, but it is this unique, special presence of the Spirit within you. And you can think about that even in in this room. I mean, it's a a small group of people in a room in Garnet Valley, and if you look around the room... Uh, We're ordinary people in the room. Uh, There's nothing on the outside that you would see in a person that would say they have the Holy Spirit. And even according to scripture, it's possible that somebody could falsely profess faith in Christ, claim the Holy Spirit, but not actually have the experience of the Spirit in their heart, in their life. But yet, when it comes to true believers, they have the Spirit. And I know that there are true believers here in this room. And so if you were to, to look around, that, that there is a unique presence of the Holy Spirit in this room, in this gathering of believers, in the heart of men and women and children. And that's why in scripture, we're called the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, because the, the Spirit of God dwells uniquely in us as the people of God together. And I find that just an amazing truth of the gospel, that if you were to strip back the veil, that what is in this room right now would be glorious. Or it also its not just glorious, but it's also deeply practical. Uh, look in your Bible at, at uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 30. We'll get here eventually as we work our way through the book of Ephesians. But listen to what Paul says. Ephesians 4 verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so you see what Paul's saying. He, he's using the reality of the seal to motivate Christian behavior. He's saying, do not grieve the spirit by whom you were sealed. That if you have the seal of God in you, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart, then it, we should think about the way we live, the way we treat others. And notice that the first thing he does is go into interpersonal behavior. Let all bitterness that if you're bitter against another believer and you share the same spirit that's gr- that grieves the Holy Spirit or wrath or anger or clamor or slander, he's saying that as believers, if we share one spirit, one baptism, then there should be this bond of spiritual unity among us that, that drives our actions. But it's not just our actions toward one another, but this, this presence of the spirit should also impact the way we think about difficult situations in your life. And that's what we see then as we return to our our text. So, So look again at verse 13 in your Bible. Verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So salvation is deeply personal because it also comes with God's personal guarantee. And look at that word guarantee in your Bible, verse 14, the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And in my translation, the, the English Standard Version, there's a footnote on the word guarantee that takes you to the to the margins, and it says, or down payment. That the word for guarantee can also be translated down payment. And that's what the Holy Spirit is to believers, that he is the, the down payment of our inheritance. <laughs> that, that God puts him in our heart as a guarantee that he's going to return and complete the transaction later. Uh, Recently, many of you know, we got a new used van uh, because of the new baby on the way that we needed a little bit more room in our vehicle. Uh, And when I was completing the transaction at the car shop, um, I had to go to a meeting and I had some of the paperwork filled out. And so when I left, I said, I'm going to be back soon but they they said, if you want us to hold the car, you have to give us your card and we'll we'll put a down payment on the car and then it's guaranteed we're not going to sell it to someone else. And I gladly did that because my plan was to come back and buy the car and and I didn't want to lose the deposit, to lose the down payment. And according to Paul, that's what the Holy Spirit is in our lives, that, that he is God's down payment in our heart. And that God is not going to lose his deposit. He's not going to lose the guarantee that he has put into our lives. And that gives us great confidence. Think about your salvation. Can you lose your salvation? Was God going to lose his guarantee, his his seal? If, If you have truly repented and trusted in Christ, if you truly have the spirit in your heart crying, Abba, Father, testifying in your heart that you are a child of God, God will complete his transaction. That's what he says in Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He has begun it. He'll complete it. And that the, the what God gives us in salvation is not a happy life, a bunch of success here in this life, but fundamentally what God gives us is himself in his spirit. And that what he promises ultimately is himself, that that there will come a day where the veil is stripped away, where we behold Christ with with unveiled faces, where we're transformed from from one degree of glory to another. And we know that that's certain because the, the seal of God is upon you. And so think about that the next time you have a difficult gathering with family. You have the seal of God in your heart. Your identity is secure, so if there are harsh comments, that's not what defines you. You have God's seal, his guarantee. Or the next time that you're you're worried about something at work or a meeting or a project that you have to complete, you can have confidence. I have God's seal on me. I, I know I'm secure. I know that God has put his mark on me. This is who I am that that nothing in my external circumstances can shake that. There there may be suffering, there may be pain, there may be difficulty. But yet, he the spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then the last thing to notice here is those fi- are those final words in this verse, it's all to the praise of His glory. That's the, the capstone of this long sentence from verse 13 3 to verse 14, to the praise of his glory. And that's and praise is ultimately personal. It's not that we, we just only worship in the way that we want to worship, but yet it's personal because it's the personal response of our hearts, to a personal God who sent a personal Savior to die for us and then put his personal spirit upon us as the guarantee and then calls us to to personal love and service to those around us. And then we respond in, in personal worship, personal praise, giving all to the Lord, saying, it's not of me, it's fully of you. All I can do is to worship and glorify the God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Let's pray.